Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, my name is Natalie, like he said, and I'm here tonight with the traveling team. And guys, we are a ministry that travels across the country, um, giving um, college students just God's heart for the world. And so we are so excited to be with you guys tonight. We literally travel like eight months out of the year. Like I was trying to think of where did I wake up this morning? And I literally can't tell you right now. <laughs> Still, I have no idea. Slow. See, you're, he, Paul knows. He gets it. He knows everything. Paul's amazing. Um, and man, we're so excited to be with you guys today. Um, I just want to give you a quick um, look into what tonight's going to look like. It's going to walk us through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, showing us that God is heart for the world throughout all scripture. It's going to be so awesome, and we're so pumped to, be, to do that with you guys. And man, I know the big question that we're being asked right now in college is like, what's next? Like, what's next after the summer, after the semester, after college? I mean, the traveling team believes that in order to figure out, like, what's next, we have to figure out, like, what has God been doing? What has he been up to? And so tonight we're going to look at, like, the history of the Bible, see what God has been doing to figure out what we should be doing. Thanks, guys. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, Anybody in here have a bucket list? All right, everyone, like, whether it's, like, written down or not, most of us have, like, a bucket list, or at least something that we want to make sure we do before we die. Um, I've gotten to uh, travel some, and I've gotten to see two of the seven modern wonders of the world. Uh, I've gotten to see the Taj Mahal in India, and I've also gotten to see the Roman Colosseum in Italy. Like, on my bucket list, I want to travel and see those other things. Um, Now, probably for everyone, there's something on there that, like, you just can't wait to do, whether it's, like, swim with sharks or climb a, a top of Mount Everest. Like, we, we were talking at a couple, a couple weeks ago at a meeting, and one girl's like, I want to be a, an Olympic athlete. And I'm like, that's awesome, okay? <laughs> her, like, her goals are, like, far higher than mine. Um, <laughs> we take those a step further. We have, like, a bucket list. We have things that we want to make sure that we do before we die. And we take those a step further, and we have, like, life goals. Like, we all have goals for our life. I mean, that's why we come to college. That's why we're getting a degree. Like, we have goals. Like, some of us, uh, we want to get married. Uh, some of us just want to go on a date. Like, we all have goals. Um, we all have goals in life that we're, that we're seeking to make happen. And now, the reason I talk about that is because, like, the goals that we have set for our life, like, the things we want to make sure we accomplish, those are the things that we give our life to. Uh, those are the things that help us decide what we're doing on a... Tuesday night, um, or Friday night, or Sunday morning, or whatever it might be, the goals that we've set are what uh, kind of control or even help us decide what we, what we do on a daily basis. Growing up in Kansas, uh, I grew up on a cattle ranch, and growing up on a cattle ranch in Kansas, I had one goal in life, to be a cowboy, close, <laughs> to be a cowboy. I wanted to be a cowboy. Like some people growing up, they want to be like a teacher, a firefighter, an NFL superstar, or the president. I wanted to be a cowboy. And so because I wanted to be a cowboy, uh, I started competing in our county rodeo. And I actually won my first trophy at the age of five. <laughs> this trophy meant the world to me. I was taking it to show and tell. I was showing my friends. They were getting annoyed. I didn't care. Um, <laughs> It literally had its own special shelf in my room. Now, a few years after I won this trophy, I go off to college, and while I'm at college, some of you guys got that one, while I'm at college, my parents move homes, and I come home on Christmas break to find out that my favorite trophy in the entire world had been put in a box. 
So what do I do? I take the trophy out of the box, and I start reliving the glory days, okay? <laughs> Music's playing in the background. I'm showing my family. I get to my parents. I'm like, Mom, Dad, do you remember when I won that trophy? How awesome was that? <laughs> and my mom, she just looks at me, and she goes, Honey, you know that trophy's fake, right? She explains to me the trophy I was holding was an extra one they got from the neighbors they gave me to make me think that I had won. (laughs) That's a sick thing to do to a five-year-old. My world came crashing down. I was devastated because I didn't care what else they told me in that moment. My entire world had been wrapped around something I was giving my life to. And I want to point something out to you guys. You guys as campus staff, your core team, uh, every single person in this room, freshman to senior, and the traveling team included, all of us, all of us are living for a trophy. We all have life goals that we're giving our life to. We all have a purpose in life that we're giving our life to. And what none of us want to do is get to the end of our life, stand before Jesus, and find out that what we gave our life to was a fake trophy. Because the world is a fake trophy factory. It's a fake trophy factory for the rest of our lives and the rest of our college careers. It's going to tell you you have to live for your GPA. You have to uh, live for your major, boost your GPA, build into retirement, live for the American dream, pile a lot of money and live comfortably. That's what the world's going to tell you to do. And friends, we all know that we can take none of those things with us when we go. So my challenge for you guys tonight is this, to live for what lasts, to live for what lasts. God's word's clear. There are only three things that last for all of eternity. That is, in your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. See, friends, God looks down at Abraham and says, dude, I'm going to hook you up. (laughs) We know that God pours out blessing upon his people. And the greatest blessing that we have from God is a gift of a relationship with him that comes later through his son. But God looks down at Abraham and says, dude, I'm going to hook you up. But don't miss this. It's not just for you. See, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations... And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. See, why is this so important? Because Genesis chapter 12 is the pattern that God uses the rest of history. Genesis chapter 12, the pattern looks like this, that God pours out blessing upon his people so that, so that they'd be a blessing to all nations. And God absolutely and abundantly loves to pour out grace and blessing upon his church, his family, his people. But when God pours out blessing, he pours it, and the, the recipient of that grace and that blessing is never intended to be the final destination. The grace has come because it's on its way to somebody else. That's the pattern God sets up here in Genesis chapter 12, that we're blessed to be a blessing. And that's what he uses the rest of Scripture. Get used to that phrase, all nations on earth, because God only repeats it 
several hundred times throughout Scripture. The same promise comes to his son, Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. To his grandson, Jacob, your descendants back the dust of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. From generation to generation, God is pushing this promise forward. And it's on its way to us. It's even in the famous Bible stories. Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath? All right, most of us, maybe all of us. Now, if you haven't heard of this story before, or you're like, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details, what actually happens, let me sum it up for you. David and Goliath, short dude, tall dude, awesome headshot. (laughs) I'm getting some nods. That's the story of David and Goliath. And I always thought that this dude was in, uh, that this story was in the Bible for me to understand that if God's on my side, man, there's no giant that can stand against me. You know, that's true. But that's not the main theme of this story. Friends, David understood even before he went out to face Goliath why God was going to bless him with victory. Look what he says. This day I will strike you down, Goliath, and the whole world. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Guys, David understood God's not blessing me for me. God's blessing me to use me to make his name famous among all nations. Friends, do you know how I prove that to be true? Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath before? Because God's still using that story thousands of years later, thousands of miles away to make his name famous. You don't even have to have gone to church to have heard that story. It's the plot of every sports movie ever made. (laughs) See, it's the same with Moses and the exodus out of Egypt. I've raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. If we grew up going to church, maybe we've been in church at all. We've all heard Bible stories, some of us more than others. Let me list off a few. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace, Daniel and the lions, and Solomon's wisdom, the dedication of the temple, the Ten Commandments, Jonah and the whale. I can keep going. All the famous Bible stories, they all have the same theme, that God's pouring out blessing upon his people so that they would be a blessing to all nations. The theme continues into the psalm, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. We love that. We may paint it on a canvas someday, ladies. (laughs) But help me out. That's not the end of the sentence. That's not a period. That's a period with a tail. It's called a comma. (laughs) God, why do you bless me? Well, you bless me so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We are blessed to be a blessing. Into the prophets, the story continues. It hasn't changed. Psalms, or uh, Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. I will also make you a light to the nations so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. (coughs) You know what God's saying here? He says, it's too small a thing for you to reach your own people. Maybe my vision is to reach all of Chico State. Maybe the entire state of California, or the entire United States for Christ. See, God would look down at me and say, hey, Jake, that's a good vision. 
yet it is still too small. Because God's heart doesn't stop at the state line. His heart doesn't stop at the Pacific Ocean. No, God's heart encompasses the entire world, and he wants our heart to look the same. So it doesn't stop here, but it starts here. It starts right here. Your classmates, the people you live with, uh, your, on your dorms, your fraternities, sororities, your intramural teams, your professors, this campus, it starts here, but it doesn't stop here. So let's reach this campus for Christ. Let's reach this entire city for Christ, but let not be that the end goal. Because God wants our heart and our goal to be set a little further, to be more in line with his goal. Because his heart and his goal is the entire world, all nations. And that's what he wants us to do. So let's reach this campus for Christ, but let's not stop there. When I was growing up on the ranch, I had a bunch of toy tractors. I don't know what your thing was, Barbie dolls, uh, PlayStation. My thing was tractors. And I had a bunch of them. I had uh, my little toy tractors. I had corn on one side, beans on the other. I was plowing the carpet. I had a red barn, a plastic cow. Like work. Like this was major work. But every time dad would come inside and say, hey, Jake, do you want to come to work with me? I always went. Because that meant I got to drive a real tractor. See, my dad would walk me outside. He'd set me on the side of this huge honking green thing, climb up behind me, and I'd begin to steer. Now, help me out. Was I actually driving that tractor? No. Thank you. No. <laughs> because if I was actually driving this tractor, something tragic would have happened. <laughs> I'd have driven through a fence, over a cow, into a pond, something bad. But my dad, my father, was always sitting right behind me. He was always making sure we were on the right track. Do you know what I think is an oxymoron? Take your child to work day. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's not efficient. It always caused more work for my dad. It caused more time, more effort. So why would a parent ever take their children to work with them? Because it brings a parent so much joy. It brought my dad so much joy to have me join him in what he was already doing. Parents absolutely love to take their children and have them join them on their, uh, whether they're at work or whether, whatever they're doing. And it's no different. Friends, it's no different for our Father in heaven. Guys, he absolutely loves taking his children to work with him. The God of the universe finds joy in having you take part in what he is doing around the world. He finds joy in you. He found joy in me, little old me from Kansas. And God's like, wow, man, I love when Jake comes to work with me. You know what happens, though? Hear me on this because I think this is important. If I don't jump in the tractor with dad and join him on what he is doing, friends, it's nothing more than playing with toys on the carpet. Because the things of this world do not last. They don't. Not saying you can't use your major to glorify God. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want us all to do, myself included, is check the motivation behind why was I pursuing that degree? that career? Was it so that I could go to Kansas State, get my animal science degree, live on a cattle ranch, make a lot of money, drive a big truck, and bless myself? I was going to find out in the end, is a fake trophy. 
But I would go to Chico State and get my computer science degree, my business degree, or my nursing degree so that God could use me in that field and that major to glorify him among all nations. Friends, that's not a fake trophy. See the difference there? What's our motivation? Is it to bring like glory, honor, and fame to myself or to him? As we turn the page and we flip into the New Testament, because God doesn't change, the story doesn't change. And Jesus, when we see the first four books of the New Testament, we find Jesus in walking on earth, his life, and Jesus' life portrayed God's heart for the nations. But maybe, maybe the best place to go to see God's heart for the world is to go to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My whole life, my whole life, I've been taught to plug my name right there where it says the world. Do you know that's absolutely true? See, God loves me so much. God loves each and every person in here so much that if you were the last person on earth, he still would have sent his son just the same. That is scandalous love. And that's how much he loves every single person in here. The only problem I ran into is that I never took my name back out. I always left it. Because as blessings came to me, they stopped with me. And that's not how God designed it. We are blessed to be a blessing. After the cross, Jesus uh, spent three days in grave. Then he rose and he walked on earth for 40 days. And during that time, before he ascended into heaven, those 40 days, we got what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19 has been termed the Great Commission. But it sounds very similar in Mark. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. In Luke, repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in Acts, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, Jesus didn't give the Great Commission one time. He gave it five times, three different locations over the span of 40 days. Why would Jesus give the Great Commission five different times? Because Jesus knows my heart. Guys, he knows my heart's deceitful. He knows that my flesh would rather live in Kansas on a cattle ranch. See, Jesus understood when he thought of me that if he was to give the Great Commission one time, I would tend to look at it as an option. But he makes it very clear it's a command. He does. Five times clear. I am sending you. You are to be my witness to the ends of the earth. It literally took somebody showing me this. They sat me down, they walked me through the Bible, and they pointed verse after verse, proving God's heart for the nations, showing me and helping me grow my own heart for the world, and teaching me how I can be involved. It's a lot like the Big Dipper. Probably everyone in here knows where the Big Dipper is, right? But there was a time in your life where you didn't. There was a time in your life where you didn't know where the Big Dipper was, and somebody had to show you. I remember when my brother showed me. 
I was seven years old. I was seven, and we were standing in our barn. It was 11 o'clock at night, and my brother, he's five years older than me, so he's much wiser, right? <laughs> we begin to walk back to the house. We get about halfway back. My brother stops, and he says, hey, do you know where the Big Dipper is? And I'm seven, so I'm like, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I just reached him, dude, Big Dipper's right over there. And like any good big brother would do, he looks at me. He says, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's the moon. <laughs> then he takes my hand. He takes my hand and he drags it all the way across the sky. And he begins to point out the dots that make up the Big Dipper. And I guarantee you this, every night that I've been out since... I know exactly where the Big Dipper is. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. <laughs> like, once you see it for the first time, you can never unsee it again. And my hope and prayer for everyone in here tonight is that we walk throughout Scripture showing you just a few of the verses that prove that God has a heart for all nations, and he's calling all of us to be a part of that. And for the rest of your lives, you would never read the Bible the same again. Every time you open it up, you would see that God has been on a mission from Genesis 1. And he delights and finds joy in having me take part in that. Using our majors, or maybe not. As we continue to connect the dots throughout scripture, I want to connect a few dots on the map as well. See, there's a part of the world called the 1040 window. And the 1040 window goes from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude from West Africa all the way through past East Asia. And it might be hard to see towards the back of the room, but the legend at the bottom of the screen says every red dot represents 50,000 non-Christians. So are there needs around the world? Absolutely. But when we look at the 1040 window, we're talking about 97%, 97% of the world's unreached people. Unreached is different than unsaved. See, unsaved means they don't follow Jesus, and that's a problem. But unreached means they don't follow Jesus, and they couldn't if they wanted to. There's unsaved people all over this campus, all over this city. Unreached people have little or no access to the gospel, little or no access to the truth about what Jesus did on the cross. 97% of them who have no Bible in their language or maybe not a church in their country or city, uh, they'll never walk around their entire lives and meet a Christian. They'll be born, go to school, start their careers, have a family, and then, and most of them will never hear the gospel that we talk about in this room every week. That's around 3 billion people. Three billion people alone with little or no access to the gospel. And when I look at this picture, man, it causes me to be like frustrated, a little hurt, a little sad. But I have to realize I'm the reason there's a 1040 window. Friends, I'm the reason that the world looks like this today. Because I have limits to my obedience. Guys, I only go so far for God. I only go to this place for God. I only do it if I can use my major. I realized I needed to change something. 
I needed to change something in my lifestyle, the way I prayed, the way I viewed the world. And I needed God to change my heart, to be more in line with his heart. That's what the world looks like today. There are needs all around the world. But don't be discouraged. Because that's not the end of the story. We worship a God who cannot fail. He shows us what heaven looks like. Heaven looks like this. Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. You died, and by your blood you ransomed. You literally purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So in heaven, we're going to be singing some songs. And one of the songs, if not the main song we're singing, is about Jesus and how he died on the cross for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And friends, if you had me choose one verse in the entire Bible that proves God's hearts for the world... I wouldn't choose Matthew 28, 19. I would choose Revelation 5, 9. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God desires the nations, the worship of the nations so much that he purchased them with the life of his son. And two chapters later, we see the choir singing those songs Revelation 7, 9, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. Guys, heaven is going to be one big multicultural worship service to Jesus. It's going to be amazing. See, contrary to popular belief, it's not going to be a bunch of Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs. (laughs) It's going to be so much better than that. Lecrae will make a guest appearance because he's that good. (laughs) But all the nations will be there. Maybe Chance, I don't know. We'll see. The jury's still out. But friends, we have to decide. We have to decide, are we going to be a part of that? Am I going to be a part of that? Are you going to be a part of that? See, all of Scripture and all of history is moving to make that happen. That's what God's doing. But Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, they will, everyone's going to run, run a race. They will do it for a crown that will not last, but we'll do it for a crown that lasts forever. My challenge at the beginning was to live for what lasts. To live for what lasts. The things that God are doing, that God is doing, Those are the things that we know will last forever. So that's what heaven will look like. We know what will happen, but that hasn't happened yet. Because the world still looks like the 1040 window. We still have many to go that have never heard the name of Jesus before. So what do we do? Paul talks about that. See, Paul, look what Paul says. Romans 10 Paul talks about unreached people. He says this, Romans 10, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Like, how are they to ever place their faith in somebody they've never heard before? And how are they to hear without someone going and preaching to them, taking the gospel to them? And how are they to go and preach unless they are sent? The apostle Paul talks about two different ways that we get involved with God's work around the world. Two different ways that we jump on board with finishing the Great Commission. All believers, this is a role that we get to play as followers of Jesus. We go and we send. We go and we send. Now, 
I know you guys have been taking some good notes. And so what I would love for you to do, maybe on the page right above the Chico Project, if you have room, or on the back, I want you to put two big words, go and send. Go and send. And I want to explain I want to explain each of those a little bit more in depth so that you uh, can maybe start to take next steps or maybe you've already been doing this or start to understand how do I plug in as a new believer, uh, as somebody who's been following Jesus or whatever, how do I plug in and finishing the Great Commission? We do it by going and sending. (coughs) So going, going, we can go here. And now when I'm talking about going, I'm talking about living strategically. Living strategically. So going, going here, uh, cross-culturally. I'm not talking about evangelism. And the reason I'm not talking about that is because I already expect that to be happening. And it's already the culture of your guys' ministry. I got to talk uh, with Paul at dinner. uh, And already there's been over 100 people who have prayed to receive Christ. And some of them have even been baptized. Like, that's awesome. So you guys are already killing the game on evangelism. We should already be sharing the gospel with those around us. That's just what we do as believers. So when I'm talking about going here, I'm talking about going here cross-culturally. And here at Chico State, there are international students on our campus, some of which come from the 1040 window. How great of an opportunity is it to take the gospel, uh, make friends with somebody from another country, uh, and share the gospel with somebody without getting a plane ticket, a passport, learning a new language, raising support. You can literally reach the nations by going across uh, uh, the courtyard or going across the street and reaching out to international students that God has brought here. It's an awesome opportunity that is often overlooked. There's around a million international students that study in the U.S., and around 80% never step foot in an American home. There's around 800,000 students that come to the U.S., study for four or five years, and go back. We're missing an opportunity that God has brought the nations here to us. Now, don't view them as a project. You don't need to be their hero. They don't need that. But we all can make one more friend. We all can make one more friend. Uh, whether that's going to international student uh, like gatherings, whether they're um, ha- having hangouts or doing something in their own culture, or just meeting somebody at Starbucks. I walked into Starbucks right off campus at my school at Kansas State, uh, sat there, met two guys from Saudi Arabia, some of my closest friends today. Uh, I bought them a cup of coffee. You buy a Saudi a cup of coffee, they'll be your friend for life. <laughs> I guarantee you. It's incredible. Osama and Musab, they're literally the screensaver for my phone. Uh, and so international student ministry is just a, a really easy way because we all know how to make friends. Uh, we were talking, or I was uh, at a meeting up in Washington, and we were talking uh, with a group. And he said, like one student said, I, I had a roommate who was an international student. And we started talking to him about Jesus. And he said, like, what do you mean about Jesus? And he found out the only thing this person had ever heard about Jesus is that Americans often use that name as a curse word. Like, that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. So going here, reaching out to internationals, uh, uh, reaching out to international students, becoming friends with them, and using your friendship to share the gospel. Man, if that's the most important thing to us, why wouldn't we just share the love of Jesus with them? That's awesome. So going here, going there, going there, using your passions, degrees, uh, interests, talents to take the gospel where it's not. 
um, uh, Christian Challenge already has a bunch of opportunities to go there. You guys have some, uh, you have the Chico Project to learn and be developed. You have summer trips going to uh, East Asia. You have other trips you can be involved with. Um, but my challenge for you guys is to invest your summers. Use your summers and invest them into internal things. Um, take a summer and pray about a lifetime. Take a summer and pray about a lifetime. I've already been working on Nate that he's going to go to China for the rest of his life. We'll see by the end of the night if I've worked it over. But, man, you guys only have, unless you're a teacher, you only get four or five summers total before you don't get them back. So invest them wisely instead of spending them doing something else. Uh, invest them in eternal things. Going there is taking the gospel where it's not. And let me say this. Uh, the world's not going to be reached only on short-term missions. Short-term missions are awesome. I've been on several myself, but it's going to take people living long-term cross-culturally to see the world reach for Christ. That's my challenge for you guys. So we have going here, there. We have sending. We can send by praying. Send by praying. Praying is strategic and powerful. Praying specifically for the unreached world. Uh, Prayer is often overlooked. Think about it. Like, I may not always have international students around me. Uh, I may not always be living cross-culturally overseas. I may not always have a lot of money to give. But I never have an excuse not to pray. You guys ever heard of a guy named Moses before? Right? Moses literally changed the fate of a nation multiple times through prayer with God. He got down on his face and prayed to God and it changed. And we, as followers of Christ, can change the fate of nations by getting down on our face. And what we pray here tonight, God can use on the other side of the world to impact uh, the world for his name and his glory. I had somebody challenge me with this, and it's still impacting me today. They said, Jake, if every prayer that you've prayed in the last six months was answered, would your life look better or would the world be changed? And I realized I was limiting God. I was praying small prayers. And not that we can't pray for ourselves. No, God even teaches. Jesus teaches us to pray for ourselves. But along with praying that God supply my daily needs, we should also be praying that heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven, that God's glory would come down. And so let's continue to pray big. Uh, write this on your Joshua Project. Write this on your paper, Joshua Project. That is an app on your smartphone that will literally give you an unreached people group every single day that you can pray for. It has all the people groups in the world, all the unreached people groups in the world, and it'll give you a different one every day. It takes about three minutes to pray for. You read the statistics on it, you pray for it, it takes about three to five minutes. What if instead of going to class uh, tomorrow, you have uh, economics 201 at 10 in the morning? I don't know. I just made that up. On your way to class, instead of like mindlessly scrolling through Instagram, double tapping or Snapchat or Pinterest, dudes, um, (laughs) what if you chose on your way to class tomorrow to open up Joshua Project and every time you went to that class, you prayed for an unreached people group? Or every time you sat down for lunch with your friends, you prayed for an unreached people group? It's so easy. They have an app for that. So let's live strategically and let's pray specifically. And the final one, let's give sacrificially. The last one under sending is giving, giving sacrificially. See, oftentimes as college students, I begin to like, okay, finally, there's one that I can check off the list I don't have to do because I'm a college student and I'm broke, right? If we were to give like 90% of our income, it'd be like $4. So, um, but God doesn't tell us to give substantially, 
but he does tell us to give sacrificially. And sacrificially will look different for every single person in this room. Sacrificially for me, I love coffee. What if I gave up one coffee drink a week? A $5 Frappuccino at Starbucks a week, that's 20 bucks a month, 240 bucks a year. By giving up one coffee. Like, what would it look like for you guys? I told this to a student. He ended up having, like, a basketball tournament. Everyone paid, like, five or ten bucks to be in it. Half of the money went to the winner. Half they were sending overseas to a missionary. One guy, uh, two or three nights ago, he owns a taco truck, and he literally sells tacos. And he's going to start having, like, a missions night where he's going to sell tacos uh, for, like, three or four bucks over what he already sells them for. And all of that extra profit he was going to send. Like, how can we begin to give sacrificially? Uh, can we uh, uh, rake, push snow, rake leaves, give plasma? That's what I did. Um, like, where can we free up money um, to give sacrificially? We had some students at the University of Arkansas. Uh, you guys ever heard of a ramen holiday? Anybody? They did a ramen holiday. What they realized is, is every Sunday they went out to church together, and then after church they'd go out to eat whether it was like Pluto's or Chipotle or something, and they would always go out to eat, and they decided, hey, what about one Sunday a month? Instead of going out to eat, we buy a big box of ramen for like 50 cents, and the money we would have spent on lunch, we give to a missionary. We pool our money together. You get a big enough group, it could be 700 bucks a month. And they didn't even give up a meal. They just ate ramen instead. And while they ate ramen, they began to pray for the nations during their time eating. And they called it a ramen holiday. Like, how creative is that? Like, that's awesome. So what would it look like for you guys to give sacrificially? For everyone, like, uh, there's some people going to the Chico Project, some people going to East Asia this summer. Uh, say, hey, um, I don't get to go to China, but can I jump on your support team for $15 a month? or for 50 bucks, or for 100, whatever it looks like. Give to your own friends that are going. So that's going and sending. And let me highlight, the, highlight this before I close. When I think about going and sending, automatically in my mind, I begin to think A team and B team, right? Varsity JV. I'm not the only one who's thought that. And that's not true. Friends, it is not true that somebody who goes as a missionary is more spiritual or a better Christian than somebody who stays behind and prays and gives. It's not true. But in the same way that it is not more spiritual to go, it should be no less sacrificial to send. If somebody gives up their entire life to take the gospel where it's not, I need to give up my entire life to make sure that they get there and that they're well prayed for. We can all go and send for the rest of our lives. It may look different in each stage of life, but we can all take part in that as followers of Jesus. What does that look like for you? Let me close with this. You guys ever heard of the term YOLO before? We have, right? What's it mean? You only live once. YOLO was often said right before I did something that was like slightly dangerous and very stupid. Like I was about to do something uh, and I would yell YOLO. Why, like why did the world give us the term YOLO? It did it because it's like you have to make the most of this life. You only get one shot, so make the most of this life. But what if we weren't created to make the most of this life? You ever thought about that? What if we weren't created to make the most of this life? What if instead... We were created to make the most of eternity. Think about it. It says this in Hebrews. These all died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. 
for people who speak this way make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. You know what God says? Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God. He had prepared for them a city. Man, people who live to make the most of eternity, he looks down and says, no, no, that one's mine. Nate, he's mine. Ellie, she's mine. God is so excited. He calls Gabriel and Michael over and says, no, no, look at this one. Man, I am not ashamed to be called their God. And I want to live, I want to live in a way that makes the most of eternity. If we were all to do that, how would that change our lives? For some of us, it may not change much. We're already on this track to make God known among the nations. We're already living strategically for him and sacrificially. For others, it may change everything. It might change everything. It means we go to Chico Project this summer, or we go to East Asia next summer, or I start sharing the gospel with my friends on campus. It may change everything. What would it look like if we were to live to make the most of eternity? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Uh, I pray that you would continue to bless um, this ministry and continue to grow. Talking with Paul that this room would even be too small the next time we come around. They're meeting in a bigger auditorium because you're blessing this ministry and these students to be a blessing to the nations. And that you continue to empower this campus. God, I thank you for who you are. We give you praise because you are worthy of it. And I ask that the words that I said would fall away and that your words would remain forever in our hearts and bear fruit. We love you and we praise you. In your name I pray.